We have a little piece of news that has just been sent out by our friends at Cusick Motorsports. Uh, Steph told me about this. Hey, y'all. No way. We have Snoop Wheelie Wheel here. Is he raising his hand? Is this like the... All right, we're going to invite him to co-host. Weird that I have to invite my co-host to co-host, but that's okay. Um, thumbs down from Ryan Caminiti. Look at that. Shots fired already. Uh, Snoop Wheelie Wheel, how you doing, my brother? Hey, buddy. Hello, everybody. Hey. Hello, America. Um, hey, uh, some news. Can talk about it now. Uh, uh, Steph told me about it a little while ago, which made me sad but uh confirmation here um of steph's injuries um steph will need to stefan wilson sorry i'm speaking in short term here uh short form uh steph will be undergoing surgery tomorrow uh, he is staying here uh, in indy uh, the IU Methodist uh, Hospital and such. Um, he will be uh, receiving surgery to stabilize his uh, fractured uh, T12 vertebrae. So, um, going to stay here and have that done, Chris. And he's also going to stay here for a while. I don't know how long, um, but to rehab. So, he and his awesome wife live in Colorado and uh, was curious if they were going to uh, try and transport him there and then do that there. So he's home and local there, but instead he's going to stay here. Obviously, Indianapolis has, I mean, some of truly the finest surgeons uh, in the world when it comes to the types of injuries that motor racing drivers receive more commonly, you know, uh, back, basically a lot of back and uh, feet, lower extremities. Uh, we have just a blessing of riches of talent here. So Steph is going to stay. Um, none of this is like super official in terms of how long, but, you know, um, try to get a feel for uh, how long rehab might be after this was told could be about three months or so. So again, don't know if Steph's going to stay local for all three or what. Um, I am aware that Sam Schmidt has already uh, reached out. Uh, Don Cusick told me about this today. Sam Schmidt's reached out and said, hey, uh, here's some great um, physical rehabilitation uh, places to consider back in Colorado when you get home. Obviously, um, some great places here. So uh, just a little bit of an update just came out here. Didn't actually know that this was going to come out tonight. So if you see me hit the mute button for an extended period, Mr. Wheeler, that means uh, I'm actually typing a, a little story that I got to do here. But uh, that's the quick little update here. Let me uh, shut my flapper and ask how your day was, my brother. Well, I've been feeling that great. Uh, I think it's just, you know, the culmination of the long days, uh, not a lot of sleep. And then, um, the, dude, the, the emotion drain of what Saturday and Sunday was. Um, even not, I mean, look, we were good. We did a good job, uh, obviously, with Alex being on the pole. But, I mean... It's a different it's a different emotion when you're like putting four cars in the fast twelve, two in the fast six than it is trying to get into the top thirty and or being in the bottom four. Um, but to be a part of it nonetheless is still just emotion swing after swing. And so um yeah, it just kind of crashed a little bit. Honestly, Monday practice is the hardest day of the month for spotters. Um because we're doing race running. And people have asked me like, well, what's what, but the race is longer, you know, the race is more important. Isn't that, isn't that harder? No, it's not. It's things like what led to this accident that is now causing Steph to go into surgery tomorrow. And that's, you know, drivers get through the field and they get to the front and then they just check and then they lift. And 
you know, come Indy 500, come Sunday, everybody's trying to go forward. Nobody's going to just drive down the front stretch. Hey, Arnie. Um, nobody's just going to drive down the front stretch and lift at the flag stand and let six cars go and then check everybody hard into one like you saw on Monday. And so um, super stressful in that kind of capacity. So, yeah, but I got out, played golf uh, with my dad and some buddies today. And so that was cool. Um, just kind of get out and enjoy the weather a little bit, my friend. Um, also kind of started started getting kind of geared up for post-Indy 500, believe it or not. Should we tell folks well, what is happening post-Indy 500? Because we, we haven't had a show since there's been a change in the racing family ecosphere <laughs> uh, for the immediate future. And it is definitely deserving yeah. of a beep, 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 beep. It, it is. So Snoop Wheelie Wheel. I'm leaving Tuesday after the Indy 500. I'm headed to uh, Le Mans, France. And I'm going to be there for two weeks with the racing family. And Mark is going to France. And Marshall's coming with me. Granted, I'm leaving like two days later. Um, Are you going home first? But yeah, uh, I'm leaving Thursday. So I fly out of here next Monday night at 7. I don't know when I get home, like midnight or something like that. Uh, Land at whatever it is. I'm home Tuesday and Wednesday. And then I go to uh, the San Francisco airport and get on a uh, bird and flap my wings and then land and a good old Paris, and then I go and get a rental car, and I drive to Le Mans. Oh, you're getting a um, rental car? I'm getting on a train. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be there early-ish. Um, but, yeah, so uh, it, I didn't know that I was going to have a Snoop Wheelie wheel there, but you're going to be there uh, as part of the Chip Ganassi Racing family. So, That's right, uh, yeah, plus, with, with, with Chip Ganassi Racing and Cadillac, um, you know, I've got the wet car over there, and our IMSA car, and so I get to go spend time with my homie uh, Bourdais, which is going to be great. I mean, I tell this joke a lot, but, like, uh, I, man, I've waited a long part of my adult life to, like, go someplace in public with Seb where he's the most noticeable guy. And, I like, mean, he can't walk the... down the street without his name being shouted during this event. I mean, it's where he's from. You know, he, he drove on the track to get to school. Like, he is the prodigal child of Lamar France, and so... I'm super looking forward to that aspect. But honestly, man, being there for, you know, it's the 100th. Am I wrong? Like, it's the 100th running of the Le Mans 24. 100th anniversary of the first, the centenary. The centenary, like that's it. right. So, yeah, first was in 1923. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, we're going to have you there with your Chip Ganassi racing family. And then you're going to be there now for your first time ever. Uh, and we're going to be an actual proper racing family there. So we are going to have to figure out how to do a show um, at a point in time where we are six hours ahead and <laughs> of, and we're doing it right now. And uh, the time change adjustment is no joke, my brother. So we're probably not going to promise that we're going to do a show every night like we did last week and then completely fail you sorry folks uh, life it's okay Um, well honestly we were we were gonna do one last night um and i decided that i i I took a big nap and then i wanted to go get a beer and mp called me i'm just gonna be fully transparent i had not been on twitter in hours and had no idea that marshall was channeling his inner matrix dodging race car parts (laughs) um until he (laughs) called me and was talking to me about it and yeah, I mean the Code Brown situation that happened there deserved a night off. There's a there's a yeah, cleanup on on Isle Pruitt for sure. So um, yeah, uh, last night unfortunately, normally we do these Monday nights uh, didn't exactly work out for the two of us. But we're here, and uh, hey, I gotta admit, and I apologize, racing family. Um, I gotta like I got a lot of work to do. I got to write my ESPN column, which was due last night, and they're kind enough to give me an extra day, and I got to do other stuff. And so, among all that stuff, let's do this, but let's try and rock it out in a somewhat efficient manner when it comes to time. 
I don't know if you or I reached out to any of our driver people. I didn't reach out to Kirkwood because I knew he was going to give us the same. I'm going to be at dinner excuse that he always has. So my my dinner my dinner and my groceries were ordered prior to the show tonight. So, um, so I'm going to jump straight to it. Zach Dean, our good buddy Zach Dean, is actually in Portugal right now, and said he probably is going to miss the live version that we're doing right now. But he asked me a question. He said. Can you and Marshall maybe discuss situations in the past where a driver has missed the Indy 500 in qualifying, yet raced? He said he couldn't think of any. I, top of my head, the most recent that I can think of was when Hunter Ray missed um, the race. But Junkera qualified the 41 car, the third or fourth or fifth car at Foyt that year. And then the team and partners of Hunter Ray bought the ride put Ryan in the car for Carb Day Race Day with the Sunkiss branding. Um, that's the most recent memory I have. Isn't there a Tagliani one in there? Maybe. I feel like there's a Tagliani thing. I don't know why Bertrand Baguette's coming to mind. I don't think Bertrand got bumped, but um, Arnie, Arnie has an encyclopedic memory. Maybe he can jog, whatever. But it's been a little while. Um. Yeah. Well, I think I think a lot of the this. culture, I think a lot of the cultural surroundings and mindset surroundings around this kind of shifted a few years ago when Hinchcliffe missed the race, right? With a partner like Arrow, um, with a budget as large as Arrow's budget, they they had the opportunity to buy a ride. There were a couple single event cars in there. They had an opportunity, and Mike Long and Hinchcliffe talked, and with Sam Schmidt, I believe, and in the moment, they made a decision that look, we're racing. And we failed. We were not good enough. And it's not our right to use our influence, our power, and our money to take somebody else out of their dream. And so we are going to learn from this. We're going to come back bigger and stronger. And I think that that kind of professionalism and understanding set the bar for where we are in today's world of it, where I think there's a lot of the same. And I want to nip this in the in the, in the the rear real quick. A lot of people on Twitter, oh. You old, you old rear nipper. Yes. Uh, United Reynolds, they sure there's that was a big check. You know, they had to pay Cusick and Ryan Reinbold a lot of money. Idiocy. Just and, idiocy. Oh, you know, dad dad bottom ride. Shut up. Graham Ray Hall is a damn fine race car driver. And he's the most qualified human to be in that race car. And Dennis Reinbold knew that, and Don Cusick knew that, and Bob Ray Hall knew that, and Honda and Chevy were able to figure it out amongst themselves for the greater good of our sport. And it's a great damn thing that Graham Ray Hall is going to drive that race car. It's terrible that Stefan can't. But if you think that he bought it or you think that it's it's something his daddy did or this or that, you can probably go sit on your driver and your golf go, bag. Go, go sit on a cactus. That's what I would recommend. Yeah, because and just I think, to add, I, think I just want to add, <laughs> look, this is the thing folks seem to not understand. You know who doesn't need Bobby Rahal's money, Don Cusick. <laughs> yeah, Cusick. Yeah, Don Cusick does not need anybody's money. There's no amount of money that Bobby Rahal could offer Don Cusick that would lead Don Cusick to do anything. This was a choice, not a purchase. And I should also mention we not only have Arnie added, but uh, a number one statistician. Uh, Scott Richards, who I just love as well, who can uh, the two of them unmute yourselves as soon as Chris is done here and share some insights about some of the recent or, or previous bumping exercises. But yes, the whole uh, uh, Graham slash Bob bought their way in. That's one. Then if you just want to go to the darker side of idiocy on social media, the oh, this was a hit job. Catherine took out Stefan yeah. in order. Gonna, right? And you. We're going to get to the crash during the show tonight. We're going to get to it from, from I don't know, the guy who got to watch it happen lifetime directly above it. So we will get to that. But I'm done ranting on it. If if you're that deep into the philosophy and this and that, then whatever, don't listen. Uh, Scott, Arnie, welcome. Thanks, Thank Dad. you very much. Hello, Arnie. Hello, Scott. Hello, Marshall. Hello, Wheeler. Hey, uh, guys. Why don't you uh, Why don't you guys take it here for a second and talk to us about, you know, some of the history about, um, you know, this situation where drivers have not qualified but then still raced. 
Uh, so the one I remembered off the top of my head was Votier qualified a car for coin, and then James Davison got in it. That is right. I pulled this morning, I uh, went through a list that I have in my database to see who, what, when things happened. So the last time that a driver replaced another driver due to injury, I had James Davison replacing Bourdais back in 2017. Uh, The last time I have a bumped driver replacing another driver was Hunter Ray replacing Juncker in 2011. Poor Juncker, he got replaced by Tagliani also in 2009. But this one surprised me the most. The last time that a bumped driver replaced an injured driver in the field was Wally Dollenbach replacing Art Pollard for Andy Granatelli back in 1972. So this this has not happened that often. And I'm just saying this here to our racing family. Uh, I think many of y'all are getting to know Scott for the first time. Please follow him. Because he is 27,000% awesome. And, uh, yeah, seriously. Um, well, I just, just follow who you should follow. Yes. And I'm, well, I say that while checking to confirm. <laughs> I, I don't follow you, Scott. Holy crap. What is wrong oh, with me? I, um, yeah. I no. him first. Shots fired at me. Beow, 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 beow. But, yes. <laughs> uh, wow. Thank you, Scott. That, geez, that's, that's amazing. Art Pollard reference. The first ever. On the Racing Family Show. Uh, Well, thank you very much. Please stay with us. Don't go. But, Chris, we should also, I don't know, uh, 18 minutes into the show, say a big thanks to you, to everybody who's listening and joining in, to Cooper Tires, those fine, amazing people who not only make road car tires and off-road tires, but also power the USF Championships, definitely to Discount Tire, aligned with the USF Championships this year as well, to torontomotorsports.com. I just dropped off some super secret things that they made uh, to our pal here, Gasoline Alley, uh, for a little shindig that's happening this week. And then, who else should we give our love to to close, Chris? The Justice Brothers, who just happen to be sponsors of Ryan Hunter Ray's entry and also Stefan Wilson slash Graham Rahal's entry. So, And they are uh, long long-term friends of ours. So big thanks to all of them because genuinely, I know maybe listen to stuff like this and you go, okay, people always mention their advertisers and sponsors. Yeah, because like they make this possible. So thanks to them. Thanks to y'all. And where should we go next? We've got a lot of requests. we got Cam and Eddie here. Uh, I, we, we need some Cam and Eddie perspective. Don't you, don't you think, Mr. I don't, I don't think so. He keeps doing the thumbs down emoji. To you, not to me. Uh, or I assume. What a, I what assume. a boo-boo head. So I'm gonna huh. I'm gonna roll right into the crash real quick. Um, there's some comments in the in the chat about that. So there's a lot of things that go on. Like I said during that Monday session, I'm very very thankful that it's only two hours long. Um, when we first started doing a Monday session, we would do a, a typical noon to six, and can I tell you how miserable it was for spotters mainly. Um, but but it does have a purpose. It has a great purpose. Um, I talked to two different drivers yesterday post session. That said, man, today was an absolute disaster for me. They said, it's not that we had a bad race car, but it's the fact that my ass is programmed for qualifying fuel after so many qualifying runs um, and after so much qualifying trimming and and that sort of thing. He goes, it took that two hours today to kind of just readjust how I feel everything through my butt cheeks in the race car about running in traffic again. Um, but what you'll have is people will blend out and they will run up front for four or five laps. They'll take a lead. They'll drop the third. They'll pass for second. They'll take the lead. They'll drop the third. And then they'll drop the 10th. But a lot of these guys are idiots. And we know that because they go 240 some miles an hour in a race car intentionally. But what they do is they, they lift about halfway down the front stretch and they go to the inside and in order to get a gap, they wait too long getting into the corner to go back to throttle um, because we are running nose to tail. And what it does is it causes a checkup for the first three or four cars behind them. Um, 
speed differential about 20 miles an hour when the car gets back in line. Probably actually more. But what that does is when the stack up starts up there, now at the apex of the corner, it starts to magnify out the back. So if you're running 15th, 16th, 17th, or worse in line, a couple things are happening. One, the draft is massive. So you're getting pulled into this thing, getting into the corner. As soon as you go to rotate the car, the air is so dirty and so turbulent that it's super hard to get the car to stick anyway getting in. So you're on edge. But now what happens is now you've got to try and time this checkup. Well, the whole purpose of racing is to advance yourself and pass the car. So it's a way that drivers and spotters work together on, on working on the timing. So if you know the checkup's coming, well, if you check up a little earlier, then you can get back to power a little bit earlier than they get back to power in front of you. It'll set you up with a run through the south end. And depending on where the wind is blowing, then it'll set you up for a good drive through turn two where you should be back to wide open so you can get a pass down the back straightaway. Um, yesterday's accident was simply a, a checkup. And I'm not going to blame Stefan and say that Stefan checked up too much. And I'm not going to blame Catherine because she hit him. I'm simply putting it on. If you could see from above the cars that we do in turn one, how every single lap, even though, yes, you know, there's going to be a checkup that far back, the checkup changes depending on, I mean, one guy could check up 30% one lap and 60% the next lap and be in the same exact position they were and not realize what it does behind them. And so Catherine got in and what, you know, it. the checkup was a little bit probably bigger than she expected. She tried to get up top. I mean, the realistic part of this is Catherine was at that moment going to crash. Any one of the 33 drivers on track yesterday in that position with that big of a check coming from up front. And again, I don't know if Stefan checked on his own. I don't know if Stefan's the car in front of Stefan checked up more than they did the previous couple laps. But when Catherine made the move to go right, she was going to crash. Unfortunately, she collected Stefan with her. And it was uh, another part of this that I think plays into it is we're talking about practice. A lot of the cars that were that far back in the Packer cars starting further in the race. Cars that wanted to get the sensation of getting pulled around and saving fuel and making adjustments to the front bar, the rear bar, and the weight jacker. And so while, yes, they're going and they're trying, they're not race-minded right now, right? It's, hey, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pound out 15, 20 laps. I'm going to run through a tire stint. I'm going to run 32 laps, whatever it may be. And we're going to see how the, how the read is on the car. Let's see how much it changes. Because... Um, at some point, they're going to have probably a little bit more clean air, back to a little more dirty air. And so that, throw that in with people adjusting to come back from qualifying, how big that stuff changes. I mean, that's just what happens. And it's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my opinion. And Marshall, hopefully I gave you enough time to write your article while uh, spewing all that. Yeah, I'm just proofing it. No. Um, I'm going to intentionally not say much here because I don't know if a lot of the opinions that have been expressed to me about what happened, some of them, I, let me rephrase that, not some of them, the majority of them being highly critical. Um, I don't know if we need to get into that because I don't know if it serves any value or purpose right now. If things could be changed if delving into them could alter reality we'd absolutely do it but at this point it's just pouring fuel on a fire that would be best if it was extinguished um i can tell you that having spoken with some drivers who were part of that group that was slowing somewhat that I heard nothing to say that any of them slowed radically, drastically, or quickly. I'd say that from watching replays, I did not see anything that said, oh, this driver did something abrupt, which then caused a chain reaction. Um, can tell you that a, a person who's won a couple of Indy 500s, and a race engineer who's won everything imaginable. Both of them told me today they thought uh, Catherine's 
uh, inability to stop her car enough to prevent it from hitting the back of Stefan's, they, to them, their trained eyes, they thought it might have been a case of the pullback brakes not being fully ready to to grip and, and grab as they wanted. And I'm not saying, just to clarify, pullback brakes are not really allowed, but they're kind of, but not pullback brakes in terms of the RLL team did something wrong or uh, illegal or anything like that. Not at all. Just be super clear. They weren't saying that RLL team did something out of bounds and that's what caused uh, this dynamic. It's totally normal and it's what I think every single team does. Pulling through their methods that they do, the brake calibers, calipers that we use actually make it easy to do so to pull the brake pads back away from the brake discs uh, enough uh, uh, by enough margin to make sure that there's no friction. So this is part of the improving the car's straight line speed at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's a standard practice. Um, again, multiple Indy 500 winner, multiple championship winner, you name it, both said it looked like Catherine went to the brakes, and since you normally have to pump them up a bit to get enough hydraulic pressure to overpower the, the pullback mechanism to get the brake pads to clamp, they thought this was a case of that being a hindrance to her. So if she were to slam on the brakes, there would not be an instant grabbing of the brake discs by the brake pads. And so in this situation, this was what they suggested, and they're two folks where you go, I'm not questioning you at all. Yeah. Um, that They thought that that was possibly a contributing factor. So there's no blame to put on Catherine for hitting the brakes and them not doing what might not have happened or the team. Just this was a bad interaction. Uh, there's nothing positive about it. So I'll just leave that there. But the, the pullback brakes part, I was like, hmm, yeah, I, I can kind of see where you're going. Because if she, if everything was able to grip instantly, Chris, uh, she could have spun the car if she did no, hard enough. For sure. And I think, you know, I thought about the brake stuff and I probably should have said, said it to begin with. But the other part of it, Marshall, as you know, is a carbon brakes. Like, man, we got to, you know, look, when, when Takuma comes off, off turn four and heads towards pit lane or all month long, anytime he's, you know, a hundred yards out, out of the pit attenuator. My call is very simple. Check your brake, check your pit speed, right? Cause you gotta, you gotta give them, give those brakes some time to warm up too, for them to grab. And it was a conversation I had with a couple of people also, right? It's, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't spot for Catherine Lake or Stefan Wilson. So I don't really pay attention to their cars unless they're around mine. So I couldn't tell you how many laps they were in that line doing that other than a couple. Cause I remember seeing them for a couple laps. They could have popped out there. It could have been the first time Catherine had to go to the brakes on that run. And they could have just been cold. Like, there's so many different things. But my thing was, it, it sucks. And blaming people and... Uh, no. And so, I'm sorry that happened. But, uh, yeah. On the flip side, I want to go back to Arnie real quick and ask Arnie how he's doing and how he's surviving this month of May. I'm not. <laughs> well, <laughs> your phone's still charged and you're with us, buddy. So that's yeah. better than being in cold storage. It's true. No, it's it's pretty tiring month for uh, everybody. Uh, I think I see Marshall when I walk in the door, and he's usually there when I walk out the door. So uh, Marshall's been putting in the time, too. But uh, they're pretty long days. Uh, the good news is I don't have to like live in a hotel as well. But, uh, yeah, that's about it. It's the year of May. You know, uh, Snoop Wheelie Wheel, I need to give a little uh, shout out here. You know that I'm all about work product and work ethic. And yes, normally I'm the first reporter monkey in 
during the month of May and the last one out. And I've been there first a lot of the days, but not always. But on rare occasion, have I been the first one or the last one out? Uh, usually, what's his name from the Indy Star and uh, David Land, right? David Land. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the name of, of uh, his, his uh, video, uh, the video kid that, that's helping him. But again, I, I'm all about work. Like you guys have heard me say many times. I'm the son of a mechanic. What do I mean by that? Like blue collar. Uh, my dad owned his own shop, would often work six to seven days a week, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And I just grew up in a culture where like your work and the power and energy behind it has value and meaning. So whether I think someone is excellent at what they do or not excellent at what they do, I'm not talking about any of that. I don't care. If you're showing up early and busting your ass all day and do, staying way beyond what anyone else is, um, you got my respect. So, And I don't mind. I got to be honest. Um, you know, I don't always... There comes a point in time where you do something long enough and it's like, do I need to be there at 6.30? Uh, 7.15 is looking okay. So there you go. Um, you know, Marshall, I think we've made him suffer enough. I'm going to approve him. I don't know why. He's probably going to take us on a tangent or down some black hole. That doesn't matter. But our buddy Ryan Caminetti is coming in along with Steve Bonick. Cause I feel like they're like peas and carrots. Do you realize these two pretty much single-handedly supply my, my, my childlike uh, diet sometimes at the track between Steve and his, he's my magical beer pimp. And then Caminiti, when possible, uh, passes on from Canada ketchup potato chips. Well, so here, I'm just here's saying. the deal, too. I just want to make this clear because I think Steve tweeted at me the other day. Marshall Pruitt is not the cheeseburger fairy, folks. I'm not. No, the, the, although I should, the, if I was a better friend, I the would. The cheeseburger be. fairy, so apparently, I'm trash. The cheeseburger fairy. Is a is 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 a person that nobody will ever know, because I don't want that person to deliver cheeseburgers to other people. Roger Penske, yeah. Roger Penske, huh? Well, look, it's Tony George. It's Tony George. I, I couldn't tell you. I'm not allowed to tell you. Um, also, Paul Genalozzi. Paul Genalozzi shows up at the track to give you cheeseburgers. I'm not going to lie to you. Amazing. If Paul Genalozzi said hello to me, I'd punch him in his face. But, wow. Shots but, you can't just leave that hanging over the plate. You got to give folks some context. Uh, he's a very angry human being who, like, threatened to kick my dad's ass at Sebring a few years ago because he, the guy refused to pay his bill and wanted more parts from my dad. And so I had to make phone calls to people above him and be like, hey, I'm in Texas. Do you want me to change my flight to Orlando and handle this myself, or can I entrust you handle it the right way? And it was handled the right way. So, yeah, Paul Genalozzi, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't exist anymore. Oh, But I don't think I'm the But only his son, John, who's Ed Carpenter's race engineer, um, we like him. Yeah, he's no, a good guy. He's, so. he's a fine guy. Very nice guy. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about happy things. And you know who are just two authors of happy things? Steve Bonick and... Well, Caminiti had to bail so. out and come back, and um, he's still, I'm still trying to add him. I think it's he's had to... No, he's range. here. He's unmuted. Uh. Caminiti, this polished turd of show. The floor is yours. Don't slip. But see, it says it's still connecting on mine. Steve, how are you? I'm wonderful, Will. How are you? Good, buddy. Good, good to hear your voice, man. I haven't heard it much in the last three weeks. Yeah, I know. I've only been bugging you all the time, you know. So, <laughs> I'll I'll keep it short because I'm watching my Golden Knights kick the kick the crap out of the Dallas Stars right now. We or it looks like if you're going to real France as opposed to practice France, you're not going to be able to go to Vegas with me. So that's the yeah. I, sorry, I didn't get to personalize that note to you, buddy. Oh, good. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it short. Yeah, my question is with Ray Hall in the. Chevy powered car from a driver's perspective. I know in the in the press conference he talked about the the steering wheel different and all that kind of fun stuff and I won't go I won't go off on that tangent. But my question is from the driver's standpoint with the engine just being 
different is does the driver really know know a difference between Chevy Chevy versus Honda or is it pretty much the same for them? Well, it's it's funny you ask because there's a young man listening right now who I invited to speak named Oliver Askew who could tell us what. Um, but um, I don't think Paul's my into Florida to, in the house. Come on, I don't think my invites to speak actually work because I, I think only Marshall's do because he's cooler. Um, but ask I mean, you, I'm inviting you, and if you don't join, the a beating's <laughs> coming. And so, not just maybe an esoteric beating, not a physical one. So I think in my in my small thought process, Steve, it's a lot of things will be the same. Well, the power power curve in the motor and be the different probably will some of the shift points be different probably will some of the buttons maybe be in a different location than he's used to probably but the reality is is fuel maps are fuel maps and switches are switches and you know graham's also a professional so he's going to be able to adapt but oliver's here and oliver actually went um two years ago and drove both a chevy and a honda so Oliver, what's uh, why don't you tell us the biggest difference in getting between the two manufacturers? I accepted Marshall's request. Ah, that's Thank my you. Indy Lights champ. That's my Indy Lights champ right Thank there. You, Appreciate Oliver ask you. How you guys doing? We're good. We're super good. How are you I'm doing? Good. I'm good. Okay. I'm all right. Um, it's storming hey, here in Jupiter, Florida. Folks. Yeah, tell folks. Uh, give folks some insights as a driver who has indeed experienced uh, all kinds of cool IndyCar motors. Yeah, um, like Chris said, had the opportunity to race for uh, a handful of different teams between 2020 and 2021, uh, both Honda and Chevy-powered. Um, interesting, I had this conversation with, with Kirkwood um, after he raced for Foyt last year in the Chevy Power and now with Andretti and, and Honda, and uh, we both we both agreed that the first thing you notice between the two uh, engines is the, is the gearbox. Um, the Chevy gearbox is, is very smooth on the upshifts and less smooth on the downshifts. And the, and the Honda is, is the complete opposite. Um, you, you can feel the, the car and, and if it's, you can sometimes notice on the onboards, the, the driver's helmet kind of move backwards and, and, and forwards quickly between each upshift and the Honda. It's a little bit less smooth, but the downshifts in the Honda are, are extremely um, smooth and, and quick. So I don't know. I don't know what the reason is behind that. You know, if, if it's a situation where you can't get one or the other, um, I'm not not sure how that works. But yeah, that's. I would say that's the biggest difference between between the two engines and and power wise. And it may, it may have changed at this point. I know it's something Chevy has been working on, but the Honda power is is much better on low end, and the power delivery is a little bit smoother um, than the Chevy. So, on tracks where you have to run a a long first gear, for example, Indy GP, uh, the Indy Road Course, leaving pit lane in first gear and coming off of the pit lane um, limiter. If you're behind a, a Honda-powered car, um, and say, uh, yeah, I was in the Chevy and the, the Arab McLaren SP, um, I, w- I would remember the Hondas just, you know, lurch away off of the off of the pit limiter because they have a little bit more power down low. Um, so yeah, I would, I would say that's uh, the biggest difference, and probably why the Hondas seem to be more competitive on on street courses as well. Um, with that, you know, it seems to be a better power delivery and more torque down low. And that's that's probably the the big takeaway to share here, Oliver. Is if we were talking about Graham shifting from Honda to Chevy on the Indy Road Course or you know Long Beach Streets or something like that, I think there would be a definite larger learning curve for him behaviorally of, of how the engines perform. At Indy, not so much. Uh, obviously, start and restart, you're you know winding up pretty heavily, but you spend so much of the day either full throttle or close to. But you know you're singing. You're you're rarely uh, in a competitive environment where the motor's at you know six thousand RPM steadily or something. So again, there will be definitely be 
performance characteristic differences. There'll be things we don't know what fuel economy is going to play out like between the two. Graham certainly knows all the fuel mapping and fuel saving techniques that work best for a Honda. This is probably going to be one of the bigger areas of education for him uh, on carb day of not just how does it work and what all your switches and dials mean, but also, okay, we know fuel saving is going to be part of the game. What are the things that work best uh, with the Chevy to do that? And then there's the other thing, Oliver, which maybe you can shed a little bit of light on too, having driven both engines in a, in a short period of time is Team Chevy and Elmore going to say, hey, Graham, let us open up the books and show you everything we do and all the ways that we do things different or better than Honda. Probably not. Will they, of course, give him what he needs to be able to succeed information-wise? Sure, but are they going to open up everything? How's this? If, uh, if Hunter Ray needed to go drive a Honda again, he would know, et cetera, et cetera. But is Honda going to open up all the books knowing that he very well may be back in a Chevy with John Reinbold in the future? Probably not. But talk about that a little bit because uh, Team Chevy is going to do everything they should, but I don't think they're going to go any farther since he's not a, a full-time guy. They don't want to give up any knowledge that they don't have to. Right. I, I agree with, with everything you're saying. Um, I, I have been very impressed this year at the Indy 500 with how close the, um, the power seems to be and the parity between the, the two manufacturers. I know that um, in the past, Honda seemed to have pulled something out when it comes to qualifying, but now um, yeah, it, it was extremely close with, with, uh, with both powertrains. Um, yeah. On, on, on an oval, the, the differences just get, they're very minute. Um, you see them more when when we have a, a wide power range, uh, like yeah, like we, we spoke about earlier um, on on street courses in particular. And that's where you start to see the the differences between the two. Um, but of course, I mean, Dreyer has that relationship with with Chevy already, and um, their priority and and their focus is to just get that car. Um, to the front as, as far as they can. Um, and, and politically, I don't think there's going to be uh, many, many issues standing in the way for, for Graham to, to try and make that happen. Um, of course, yeah, he's not going to see the book and, um, all all the secrets that Chevy has, but how long has these, have these powertrains been out? How long have these, these engines been, been around i mean there's not much these days that um that chevy and, and honda are finding i, I don't think uh, I, I think they're running at their maximum capability uh for how long you know and, and and how how much experience these engineers have with these engines if the engines were children i think they'd be in junior high Ele- or 11 yeah uh, 11 years now, but to your point, not a lot left, but since we're holding on to these engines, right? Since these aren't being phased out and both sides agreed to that towards the end of last year, uh, they have kicked back in and been spending a lot of money and time and whatnot to try and find little additional kernels of performance. So, um, I hope qualifying was an indicator of what's to come on race day and we're going to have this great intermingled Chevy and Honda battle uh at minimum we know that Honda ran away and hid last year I'm hoping that doesn't happen again for the sake of the race that we can have some for yourself (laughs) so we can have a little bit of mystery and who knows maybe come race day Chevy will run away with things but again I'm just hoping we uh, we will have some mystery uh, instead of one manufacturer dominating, except for Chris Wheeler's number 11, Chip Ganassi Racing Honda, which I'm told just had two extra turbos installed today. You know, it's my luck, Marshall. Craig Hampson used to think it was his luck that, like, every time he switched a program, 
the program he left would be on the preferred power plant in Indianapolis, but I think it's actually me. Just throwing it out there. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Um, real quick, I just realized, because you didn't call me out on it yet, so um, I, I forgot. New avatar? But, but my avatar changed. Yes. And I have to thank my good friend, Kate Shoup, wife to Grosjean's race engineer, Olivier Boison, for the photo. She, uh, myself, uh, and um, you're you're not far from me, Marshall, but myself, and I think it was, what, below... But uh, why haven't you called me out? Because I was supposed to take a photo, that photo, and failed. So I'm glad that you got the awesome Kate shoot to do that <laughs> well, for I didn't, you. But well, I didn't even ask Kate. So she, I guess, when Jack was making the final run, it was like Rosenquist, um, VK, Polo, and myself were standing there. And those two were getting ready to go run the fast six. And we were just, like, the third lap went faster than the second. And we were like, oh, what? And um, Kate. I didn't even realize it until after everything had settled down that she was right in front of us the whole time. She probably went through an entire memory card. Um, and there's, so, I have more that I'm not going to share. Um, what were you but, doing on pit lane for Kate to photograph that you won't share? <laughs> well, I just feel like, you know, like I was excited for the moment, right? Um, Graham and I have known each other since we were children. Jack's a very good friend of mine. And I just didn't share some of the other photos of my celebration face because I and it wouldn't have come across disrespectful to Graham in the situation. But I was excited for the moment, um, as were the fans. Right? Nobody cheered, to my knowledge, in spite of Graham Rahal missing the Indy 500. It was, holy shit, that was electric. And so I just I just didn't share those ones. And uh, so I just thought this one would be a good one because you can you know. You look like a big burly hunk of man. So well, I'm also glad that I had to crop out the other three skinny guys in fire suits because yeah, bro, I, I look like a people. really big thumb on a small hand. <laughs> we guys. had we had fun uh, on pit lane there when the uh, the fast six was resolving itself, and we we won't repeat some of the things said, but uh, uh, what well, it was uh, you me. Uh, Connor, Lungard, Eilat, uh, Devlin, Dev, Dev was there. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like, all I'm I know just... is, all I know is, I turned around and I saw an entire sea of black shirts with bow ties on them, and I saw if there was 12 human beings, there was 24 middle fingers pointed at me. Yeah, so, um, it was a great time though. Great, great spirit. Um, the the hundred <laughs> days to indie people. Um, were yeah. there with their camera and their little boom mic, and oh. so. The minute they showed up, all of the fun discussions stopped. And then when they went away, all the things that, like, I'm glad weren't captured. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying. Like, if you think all the drivers are nice and amazing and awesome, but do not be mistaken in thinking that they are not savage uh and I might have just, I might have also dropped a pretty big one on iLot too. But anyways, um, that's the thing that, I mean, we love about IndyCar, right? Everyone's close for the most part, has, you know, fun. There's a lot of personality. Um, and if you're kind of, you know, part of the family, part of the, you know, whatever, uh, everybody kind of lets their hair down and has fun. And it, again, this is not meant to be a, a negative thing set against the 100 Days people, but... Yeah, they're not part of the family, so you don't get to hear the you know the backyard barbecue conversations. You so, know, I've, uh, I have memories of standing there in these moments for several years, and, and a couple years ago, I was standing with Graham. We were both in street clothes, watching the bumping happen, right, and the commentary and the disbelief and the man that sucks for that guys and things like that. So it's just that that's one of the cool parts for me about qualifying in general. Um, I said it in my tweet the best I could. Absolutely electric. Everything that meant something over two days came down to the very end moment. Uh, there was other than the one or two track inspections. There was a car on track the entire time. Super electric. And uh, with that, I have to do a quick transition and say to our buddy Rishi, welcome and once again publicly congratulations on your graduation, my friend. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, guys. Um, looking forward to the race. I'll be there on Sunday. Um, might be at the meetup, still TBD. Um, but I got 
two questions. You can answer one or both, I guess. Um, first question is, what do the crews and mechanics and engineers do on these non-practice days between now and carb day? I know the drivers got media and sponsor obligations probably, but what do the crews do on, on the off days, uh, especially leading up to carb day? And then the second is, um, I didn't get a chance to watch the Monday practice, but I guess, you know, being that it was the first time kind of running in traffic, um, did you notice anything different um, with the arrow changes that uh, giving you any, any idea of, you know, how, how passing is going to be on Sunday? Well, my, my friend, I am staring on the, at the homepage of racer.com. And I see a little video here titled Indy 500 Trackside Report, Tuesday, May 23 with Don Cusick. And in that video, the first couple minutes of that video, I indeed answer your first question about what do crews do on these three down days of no on-track activity and there's B-roll and engines and wings and suspension and all kinds of fun stuff. So I would strongly encourage you participate in watching that because uh, it'll give you a better answer than I can here. Plus, you get the good visuals too. Don't uh, um, don't feel bad, Rishi. I don't watch his videos either. Always, <laughs> it's okay. I was listening to the podcast at the gym. I got, I got back from the gym not that long ago, so I haven't he gotten thinks, to the videos yet. He thinks I work for Motorsport.com, so that's that's you know we just deal with these things. My cousin um, Vladimir said you were his best employee. Look, the the money is very clean, very clean. <laughs> um, I'll tell you this, Rishi, the, the hope was the, the downforce, higher downforce options uh, would make for more passing, less turbulence, less disturbance if you're fourth, fifth, sixth car in the pack. And I don't know if I heard a whole lot coming out of Monday's practice to suggest things were much different. So Friday is going to be super hardcore where there were select groups running together on Monday. You know, it was usually three, four, five cars. On occasion, you'd get a, a bigger group, but it was kind of sporadic, and not everybody was running at the same time. Friday should be the opposite. It should have the vast majority of the field on track just about the whole time, major drafting parties. So I think we'll hear a little bit more on that and get a, maybe a more definitive answer on Friday, but at least in the select pack running that we saw on Monday, I don't know if I heard many drivers, Chris, say, I, "Oh, I'll much be better. honest." I I think that it's a miss. Um, if Monday's an indication, I think that when we were here in April, the temperatures were ideal, and we thought, "Wow, this whew, this could be the one. This could really help us here." Um, early in the week, when we would get out and run running packs. You know, I think it was a different style of running in a pack. And the, the temperatures were cooler. I can tell you yesterday was one of the hottest days we've had here. Sunday is going to be one of the hottest days that we'll have all month. And unfortunately, I really think that if you're honestly, I think if you're not top three, you're you're in a tough spot and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take advantage of some bad situations for people in front of you, maybe. Um, you're gonna have to be great on pit lane. I mean, the, the first off, it's the most pit stops these crews will do all year long um, in one race, and they've got to be perfect. You cannot have an issue. You cannot lose track position here. Um, it's a pretty straightforward strategy. You're not really going to go off strategy and do something crazy um, unless certain things happen over the middle kind of part of the race. So it's – unfortunately, I don't think that the new the new tidbits have really done anything other than make us feel – and this is this is not a, a team thing. I want to be very clear. This is not a who I work for thing. This is a general observation and talking to my buddies that drive these cars. Um, I think a lot of people just feel like it kind of makes them feel a bit more draggy. Um, maybe some false securities and some maybe a touch more stable. But the whole we can run closer, we can run tighter, we can get better runs, we can pass from deeper in the field. At the end of the day, the 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 air after four, six cars the air after 10, 12 cars, it just sucks. And um, I don't know what they're going to ever be able to fix that. There's some things coming for next year that should fix that. But Breaking uh, news, Marshall Pruitt knows. No, no, no. Uh, I've been so, asked to not, not write about that. 
until we're done with the Indy 500. And I'm good with that. And I understand the reason why. So, but yeah, uh, I'm aware I've done an interview about one of the things they're doing to improve and we'll do a interview on the other thing as well. Once we get out of uh, May here, but um, we got yeah, we got to push to a close though, Marshall, because you got work to do. I, I legitimately do. So, so, Kevin, Kevin, you got you got a quick one for us, I bet. We got some candid up in here, so now we're classing up the show. I wouldn't go if class is the word or not, but uh, observation and maybe one or two questions. Um, met him at Toronto last year, and he seemed to be the most pumped crew member after Alex's win. At the GP and his pole position, I believe he's the uh, air jack guy is red. And he was just super jazzed the last two weekends in a row about Alex's success. And then two completely unrelated questions. Don't mind the ADHD is the other Graham, Graham Goodwin. Does he have any idea what he's getting into with you two going over to Europe? And a little more seriously would be uh, related to Steph. Is the Dr. Trammell's House of Pain still in operation? And would Steph go there for some of his rehab stuff? Not sure on the last part. Uh, just haven't asked. Um, Graham, I don't know. You got to meet Graham and spend some time with him at the, the Rolex 24, right? So Yeah, and Sebring. And he, so he knows to be scared. And keep in mind that my weekend sports cars co-host Graham Goodwin, um, he's definitely petrified of me. So the two of us, yeah. um, I'm pumped. Oh, we're going to be rolling heavy there. So uh, international incident is on the way. Um, and as for your first question, um, yeah, lots of pumping going on here. Sorry uh, for the visual there. Um, and let me see. Do we still have him or did we lose him? Don't tell me we lost Kyle Sagan. Nope, Sagan's still here. We have uh, one of the world's finest tire changers and IndyCar mechanics, Kyle Sagan here, who's on the 10 car. So uh, let's congratulate our man. Uh, he, he stopped uh, the little tugger coming down pit lane after uh, getting the pole. He stopped it. He didn't even hit the brakes. He just let it kind of roll to a stop. And uh, man, it was great to give our guy Kyle Sagan just a giant hug because he's he's achieved many things in the sport he's loved by everyone because he's among the most lovable and when I mean, we're not done playing this month so there's more to get but our guy kyle sagan his car is rolling off number one on sunday so uh just nothing but love for our guy um so Alex, I know you tried to speak i tried to prove you it didn't let me you're in the same boat as caminetti so bernard close it my friend well, hello, everybody. It's nice to be back. Bye. Bernard, we talked about the enthusiasm, buddy. I need you I need you to 10. You got a 2. I was trying to use my nice, soft, and gentle voice there. I was trying to be calm. I'm getting you. A, I'm going to taser you at Road America and see how your voice changes. Bernard, I, have you done a 23 and Me and found that you're like 70% turtle? I'm convinced I, you've got some turtle DNA, and that's not a bad thing. We're not, we're not anti-turtle here. No, no, turtles are cute. But uh, what was I going to say? Okay, so my question mainly was just, uh, well, actually, going back to, like, noises, you should have heard the, uh, like, shocked noise that came out of my mouth involuntarily when uh, I believe it was Pillow was the first guy to run a lap of 235. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting everybody to start at a 234 and then go down, and then when the 235 whatever came up, on my television screen, I, I took a, I don't know what the noise was, but it came from somewhere and I don't know where. Can you reproduce it? We, we got it. And we hear birds in the background, which is great, but yeah, we got, you got to reproduce my, it. Or, this is an audio I, based show. Here, here it is, Bernard. You ready? I'm going to, I'm going to put it on the tee for you. At his first lap over 235 miles an hour. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's the official sound of 235 <laughs> oh that's amazing yeah we're we're gonna yeah at elkhart we're gonna get you together with not only our man kyle sagan here but we're gonna get below 
And uh, we're going to have Wheeler do his uh, best, worst, uh, Dave Calabro, or I don't know if that was Alan Bestwick, or whatever, who, whichever announcer. But yeah, we're going to do that live, and we're going to hopefully capture that on video. Yeah. So uh, there we go. This is amazing. But uh, my question is, like, Wheeler, on qualifying day, when they're just going out one car at a time, A, are you up in the spotter stand? And B, if you are, what do you do? Um, not anymore. There was a time period where I did have to go up for qualifying. Um, usually some of the shorter ovals and it was more to identify some of the lines that were being used. Um, because usually ovals, we qualify heat of the day, um, opposite of when we kind of want the car to be ideal for race mode. So a lot of times it was just going up and watching that stuff or going to different parts and listening for lift points. Um, especially on the shorter ovals, those days are kind of gone with the technology we have. So, um, luckily, no. Instead, on day one, I literally you sat. were a forensic accountant on, Bro, on my, Saturday. Oh my, my thumbs gosh! Hurt. I sat at the pit wall opening of Gasoline Alley from the time Polo ran his first run till the gun went off, um, just tracking every bit of movement for my team's sake. Right, because it's a big game at the end of the day to get out and run in the best temperatures you can. When do we need to be in line? Who's in line? Who's in staging? Who's in fueling? Who's in the fast lane? Who's in the you know, priority lane? Who's in the standard lane? When do we need to go? Um, and, and I'm not the only one. There was probably four or five teams that had a, had a me there. You know, Aaron McLaren had um, Max Neron, one of their managers there. And we hung out when people brought us food. They brought us drinks. But it was a long, hot day standing there. You're bad. We, so for next year, we need to come up with the uh, – the whole Wheeler care package here because, like, your phone battery was dying. Like, oh, yeah. I, uh, Shane from Bell Helmets brought me um, – he bought us out drinks, but he brought me my backup battery out of my backpack. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was cool, and it's it, it, that's kind of how you show, man. It really is a team effort. Um, every single person – and I wasn't the only Ganassi spotter actively doing things. You know, there was one guy who was simply running management personnel and engineers back and forth from pit boxes to the garage – to the north end, to the south end, and everywhere in between. And that was his duty for the day, was that, you know, a couple of these guys hopped in golf carts, and there are some key people that make decisions, and their job was to help them get there faster. And so, um, yeah. Marshall, I think it's it. And you got to work. I'm sorry. No, hey, it's all good. I got dinner to eat. I got uh, words to write. Um, good job there, Bernard. You kind of you kind of rallied and saved it. So uh, good on you. Thanks to everybody uh, who's joined us tonight, and there's a, a, a nice, decent number of y'all. So thanks for uh, for joining in here. We see a ton of friends who uh, join us on a regular basis, and some of you who are here for the first time. And Scott Richards as well. Follow Scott Richards. This guy is if you love IndyCar and you love statistics, uh, Scott Richards is your guy. I know that as a long, long-term follower of Scott's. Upwards of 45 uh, minutes or so right now. But yeah, you know I'm a dumpster fire in human form, so thank you for accepting my uh, uh, steady failures. But uh, Snoop Wheelie Wheel, as you do so delightfully and meaningfully, take us home. Well, folks, it's been a beautiful hour and four minutes that we've got to spend with you on this lovely Tuesday night, wherever you may be. I want to thank you, as always, for joining us, for liking and commenting and sharing and spreading the love of the racing family because we do it for you and with you every week because it's what we enjoy to do. As I look back at our time together, I really want to hit something that's very important to me. I had the opportunity to speak with the cookie lady um, Monday after practice um, with my good buddy Robbie Fast to a group of about 30 current active duty and retired military personnel. I don't want the meaning of Memorial Day to be lost on anybody this weekend as we head in to the greatest spectacle in racing and the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. When you see a, when you see a soldier, thank them. When you see a vet, please thank them as well. Let's remember those who never made it home and remember all of those that served to allow us to be able to get to spend this electric weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the single largest one-day outdoor sporting event in the world. Um, I'm hoping that it's going to be a great race, and I'm hoping that everybody gets to enjoy it from wherever you are in the world. 
Um, whether you're in Speedway at 16th and Georgetown or you are in Portugal, like our buddy Zach Dean, cheer for the ones you love. Don't be the asshole that talks down and makes fun of the ones you don't. And support everybody from the ecology department to the people at the gates, to the yellow shirts, to the security guards, to the snipers, to the crew members, and of course, anybody who plays any role in making this weekend happen. But again, let's not forget what it means to be able to do this and why we get to do it. As always, take the time to call somebody that you'll care about. Call an old friend. Scroll to the Facebook groups that you're on and find that one that you just haven't talked to in a while. You never know when that call can change their day, their week, their month, their year, their life. Make sure that they're good. So on that, all, all, all I'm going to say is life's not that difficult, folks. It's really not. Um, it's pretty straightforward make your decisions stand behind them respect others and don't be a dick Um, and that's all I got for you so for my esteemed co-host Marshall Pruitt I'm Chris Wheeler and I want to thank you for joining us here on the Racing Family Show and we will see you down the road (laughs) 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 (laughs)